Hi, my name is Teal, and I'm your host for the SweatNet Be Amazing podcast, where we share stories of amazing women who live in our communities. My hope is that you will feel encouraged and inspired after listening to each episode. everyone. Welcome to the Be Amazing podcast here on SweatNet. I'm your host, Seal, and I'm so glad that you've decided to join me today for another episode. And this week, my guest is Ebony Williams, and she is a thyroid health coach. She helps women ditch the fatigue due to thyroid and autoimmune issues. And her whole goal is to help them gain energy back through care management, advocacy, building good food habits, establishing sustainable exercise routines, and how to live their life with purpose. And this really comes from her own battle with an autoimmune disease. She was diagnosed in her early 20s and is something that she has taken hold of in helping others just through her own experience. So we really dive into what that has looked like for her, also the other challenges in her life that she has faced, and how she continues to have such a joyful attitude and perspective. And there was something that she said that really stuck with me that I, I so appreciate. And She said, recognize your mess is the best thing to look at. And she talks about kind of sitting in it and appreciating basically the challenges that we all face because it's in those places of challenges that we really grow. So I can't wait for you to listen to this episode. There is no doubt in my mind that you're going to be encouraged and inspired with this incredible conversation with Ebony. Hi, Ebony. Welcome to the show. I'm so excited to have you on today. Can't wait to dive in and talk about you and all the amazingness that's with you. So (laughs) thank you. I am very excited to be here. Well, so let's go ahead and jump right in. Why don't you go ahead and tell everybody a little bit about who you are? Yeah. So I feel like I wear a bunch of hats, like who doesn't, but during the day I am a supervisor at Johns Hopkins working with our electronic medical record system from a training perspective, but I get to work with basically everyone across all six hospitals. And when I'm not doing that, I'm an adjunct faculty member at Johns Hopkins University teaching all about how do we make healthcare better with the use of technology. And when I'm not doing that, I am a personal trainer, holistic nutrition coach, thyroid disease advocate, an aromatherapist. And when I'm not doing that, I'm volunteering at church and leading our health and wellness team. <laughs> I don't even know what to say. <laughs> that's like, that's so much. Yeah. So many different hats, but they all seem to like intertwine and go together. Yeah. They, they really and truly all work together because at the core of all of it, what I love about working in healthcare is that it informs the work that I do from an advocacy perspective. And I get to stay abreast of all of the changes that are coming from a legislation perspective or the law. And I get to help other people learn how to navigate the healthcare space because I know what the nurses and doctors and other healthcare providers have to do. So I can then translate that same information to help whomever I'm working with or family members about how to get the most they need out of the healthcare system. That's pretty awesome. How did you get started? Like, how did you get started or what was your reasoning for going into healthcare? Was it originally off of that or? Nope, not, not uh, uh, nope. Cause 
I actually, um, I started off as a neuroscience and behavior major in college. And then I went, this is, I don't, mm -mm, I want to do this all day. No. And I ended up self-designing a major in high school to be exercise physiology. So silly me decided to combine the neuroscience major with kinesiology from another college in the area, which basically almost ended up like a triple major. Do not recommend it. And I was convinced that I was going to be a doctor and a researcher and do an MD PhD track. And then my autoimmune disease was like, no girl, you're not doing that. Sorry, go sit down. So I ended up struggling being undiagnosed for years with my autoimmune disease and I couldn't do anything. So I gave up on my dream of being a doctor. And when I graduated, couldn't find a job in research. And I ended up going to New York on a whim and it didn't have any money, no job, no plans, no nothing. My parents were like, we'll help you pay a little bit of money to your friend. And that's it. Like you need to figure it all out. So I ended up tutoring and then I found a job training at Mount Sinai in New York. And then I kind of fell into what I'm doing now. So back up a little bit, let's talk about autoimmune disease and what it is exactly that, you know, what does that mean? I've heard that said a lot and you even say that you're an advocate, but it's a lot of this comes from your own personal, what you're dealing with personally. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. So when you have an autoimmune disease of any kind, it's basically when your immune system attacks your body. And of course we have a lot of different organs and whatnot. So it, it just depends on the system. So for me, I have Hashimoto's disease or an autoimmune condition in which your immune system attacks your thyroid gland, which for me, it has made me hypothyroid or my thyroid gland is underactive. I also have some overactive tendencies. So I swing, which is common in some folks that have Hashimoto's disease. So you can have lupus, you can have rheumatoid arthritis, you can have a lot of different conditions, Crohn's, all these things can happen. And what's also really interesting about them too is that sometimes when you have one autoimmune condition, you have a tendency to develop another. So it's really important to pay attention to that and understand your condition so that you can learn different lifestyle strategies to prevent your genes from expressing a different autoimmune condition. It's not always possible to prevent it, but it happens. That's really interesting. And it's interesting that you didn't know, you didn't know this for years. You were just, you were undiagnosed. And yeah. when did you find, when did it finally, like, when did you finally get diagnosed with that? I would say that I started having symptoms when I was about 16, maybe even a little earlier than that. And I did not get diagnosed until I was 21. And, uh, let's just say that it was it, it was horrible. It really was like I had stepped into a horror movie and no one said cut. Like it was, it was 
it was just bad. So one of the biggest things that I will say, especially to moms of teenage sons and daughters, because I've worked with teenage boys as well that have issues with their thyroid gland, that if you have a child that is 99% of the time, super mellow and calm and cool, and then all of a sudden you've noticed this change in them, don't ignore that. Don't just write it off as, oh, they're hormonal, they're hormones, they're just all up. Don't do that. Don't do that. Because I really wish my mom would have stopped to say, well, why are you moody all of a sudden? Why, why are you super anxious? Even my high school teachers, like I developed this horrific test anxiety and I would even pass out before my exam sometimes. And I remember sobbing at my desk and I was like, you know, something's wrong with me. Like, I, I don't feel right. I don't feel normal. I spend all this time studying and I can't remember anything, nothing. My, my mood changed. I was sweating profusely all the time. I was rageful. I mean, I, I threw a girl into the wall during a basketball game. Like it was that bad. I, I'm really sorry to whoever that woman is now, but I was running really fast down the court and I kind of couldn't stop myself. So I basically scooped her up and like tossed her into the wall. There was a cushion there, but yeah. And you're not a very big person. No, ma'am. Nope. Mm -mm. Nope. Mm -mm. Mm -mm. Yeah. Not at all. Yeah. So that um, would be rage. Yep. Mm -hmm. I, I, I punched, um, a couple lockers too. Didn't feel it. Uh, I'm not proud of those days. I'm not proud of that at all. But that, that is what I mean when I say, you know, I, I was telling my coach, like something's not right here. Like I don't get angry like that. I, I just don't. And yeah, everyone was just like, eh. hormonal teenager, girl from the hood, you know, they're angry. Thanks guys. Thanks. It's really interesting because you don't think of it like, you know, you say uh, when I hear, you know, somebody talk about a disease or, or something they've been diagnosed with, like, you don't even think about the fact of like how it can affect you in those ways, not just like, you know, physically being sick, but like, uh, like the, like, that's a huge shift for somebody that isn't, like you said, you've been, you know, relatively calm and you don't get upset easily. And then all of a sudden you're finding yourself in, in that type of position. That's a, that's a lot. Yeah, it was, it was legit an out of body experience. And though the rage didn't last for very long, it, it literally dipped into deep anxiety and depression. So it was literally a roller coaster. Like I was up and down and up and down. And when I got to college, I had a psychiatrist prescribe me medication and I felt like a zombie and the issues didn't stop. Like nothing changed. <laughs> My mood did not change. I did not feel better. And that's when I started gaining a lot of weight. And again, I'm not that big. I am tall and lanky under most circumstances. And 
even when I went back from college, people were like, oh, huh, freshman 15. No, it's way more like freshman 40. Thank you, family. You are so kind. I appreciate all of you. Thanks. 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 And then of course, all of a sudden the weight just dropped. And then I had the converse happen where people were like, um, should we be concerned? Are you on drugs? Are you okay? Are you okay? And I went to an all women's college and women can be mean, sorry. But you know, you, you see this, you see the looks, you, you hear the snickers and you know, people are asking you questions and you can tell what they're getting at. And for a lot of people, they have no idea that my birth father was on drugs. So that just made my entire mood go from bad to horrible. That's a lot. It's a lot on anybody. Um, and I think that when you say now I have really have a better understanding of when you say advocate, why you consider yourself. And that was actually at the top of like, when you look at, when I looked at your Facebook, cause I do this, I do my research, I go back and look, uh, research, you know, you have to research everybody before you, before we have like conversation, you know, yeah. and just in that first thing, you're like, I'm an advocate and for autoimmune disease. And I was like, huh, what does that mean? Well, now I understand. Yeah. Like, you get it. Yeah. And, and a lot of times, you know, I was just written off as just, oh, you're just depressed. Um, de depression doesn't feel like this. Like my chest is killing me. My heart feels like it's about to jump out of my chest. My hair is coming out in clumps. I can't remember anything. I have professors saying, oh, well, you know, maybe you should stick to writing. Maybe STEM wasn't the, the field that you needed to do. You know, when I was in college, I studied and I studied hard and, and maybe you're not used to having to study this much. <sighs> okay. Um, thanks. Mm -hmm. and, it, and I've decided to go to, I didn't really decide. I actually applied for many, many programs to do summer research. And all of them were looking at my grades and they're like, how can you be someone that likes science? You can't even barely get above a 3.0 grade point average. Why should we bring you onto our program? And I will forever be thankful for my cell bio professor because he legit fought for me to get into this program. And even when I was there, my PI or private investigator would look at me and she's like, you don't look well. I was like, I don't know, right? I'm gonna put my specimen in my ice, prepare behind me, cause I'm about to pass out. I'm about to pass out. And you know, there would there be times where I didn't remember how I got somewhere and just the light sensitivity and everything going on, it weighs you down and I'm like, I just turned 21. So I'm supposed to be having the time of my life. And, you know, you're trying really hard. And when I look back at pictures, I see how my eyes were enlarged and I had a slight goiter and I just didn't know. And when I finally got my diagnosis, the doctor came in and was like, yep, Hashimoto's and just walked out. Let's just say that was not one of my proud moments because um, 
I, I, I embarrassed myself at how much I yelled and screamed at that doctor's back. Um, and let's just say that all of the years of frustration that I had pinned up and was trying to figure out what was wrong and had folks constantly telling me, we don't know what's wrong with you, had to stop running track, had to stop doing all the things that I love to do for you to come in, say a word that I couldn't even pronounce at the time, and then walk out. I was just with no explanation of what it was, what it meant, what I should do, no nothing. I lost it because I was bedridden at that point. Like my entire, I was in Minnesota. I had a 10 to 12 hour drive just to get home. My family was scared and little, little old me was like, no, I went through hell this summer. I'm finishing this project. I'm doing it. Even if I have to present from a chair and my family's like, no, you're not. I was like, yes, I am there. Once something is in my mind and I put my mind to it, I'm going period. Just call it crazy. No, I'm going to finish. And I did. I had to have someone drive back with me, but. <laughs> so, you did it. so you get diagnosed. How long did it take for you to find, like, to, to find a healthy space? Like how long did it take you to physically, I guess, regulate at that point And then two years and then irritable bowel syndrome reared its ugly head. And uh, that's when I learned that stress really triggers my autoimmune disease. Um, and at that point, I couldn't even, I could barely eat anything. So I started losing weight again. And all of that brain fog and all the things were, was starting to happen again. And fortunately, I found a gastroenterologist or GI doc. And I'm still so grateful for her because I had gotten so used to recounting things and doing it quickly. So I could run through my history in like five minutes. And I told her all the things that I ate, what was going on. Fortunately, she did not prescribe me any additional medicine. She was like, all right, let's try some more natural methods. You seem like you're someone that is a good historian. You watch what you eat. You're trying. Let's do like, I, I'm honestly surprised because she's like, all right, let's do some peppermint oil. Let's work on this tincture. And now I'm like, that isn't typical of most GI docs. They will give you an antacid or something like that. But she worked with me to say, okay, take a Pepto-Bismol tablet before you eat to coat your stomach, eat in small meals, small increments, tritums or papaya enzyme that should probably help you make sure you monitor your calcium. Like it was beautiful. And then I ended up realizing my stress was probably the biggest issue that I had that was brought on by work, work. Huh. And then I ended up leaving there and meeting my, at the time, husband. Which now takes us into the next part of your story. <laughs> So you face, let's talk about that. Cause you, you have faced some pretty, uh, like, I feel like you've had all these life challenges up to 21 and then now you're dealing with your next set of challenges. <laughs> so go right ahead. Yeah. So, uh, my ex-husband now, um, that was interesting because I thought that things were okay, but I was still struggling with IBS. 
he was struggling with health issues himself. And it was crazy because we lived in Arlington, Virginia, and I still, I found a job in Baltimore at Johns Hopkins. And that ended up being like a three hour round trip every day. So we only had one car and I was like, you know what? You take the car, you do what you need to do. And then he started his own business and I was supporting him in that. And it was just one thing after another. And I started noticing changes after about a year. But of course, I was just like, oh, you know, he's stressed out. You know, there's a lot to do starting up your business, trying to transition from work. And, you know, I I just expected that it was a lot. Not to mention that in the background, I had things going on with my family and things going on with his family. And after a while, I just felt that we started drifting apart. And I'm like, all right, well, how do we fix this? I have no idea how seeing a functional marriage worked from my childhood. So I was just like, oh, okay. So do we do therapy? Like I'm getting upset because he's not talking. I don't know how to communicate. I'm frustrated. And shortly, I'm fast forwarding about two years now. Um, One day I'm talking to a client and he comes in and says, I don't, I don't want to do this anymore. And the day before we were arguing and talking I'm like okay I'm tired of arguing I'm tired of fighting let's just figure this out and work things work things out and he's like yeah cool no problem next day this happens and I and I'm like um what what do you mean you don't want to do this anymore and he was like yeah I don't love you and I have not loved you since the year we were married and I'm done And I guess he thought that I was just going to be like, oh, okay, cool. No problem. Where do we go from here next? I completely and totally fell apart. Like you would have thought that my dad died. Like it was, it was bad. Um, And then two weeks after that, I find out that my dad's non-Hodgkin's lymphoma came back. So I fly home to be with my family and then we're in the car and I, I saw like a bump on my dad's face. I was like, Hmm, interesting, but he had gained weight and I never like pointing out things weight wise with people because you just don't know where they are. And I was like, Hmm, that's interesting. And not only did we get that bit of information, but then I'm in the car with my dad and he's like, the, the doc calls him and I see my dad's face go white. And I'm just like, oh, this isn't good. He hangs up and I said, well, what happened? He said, well, let me back up. Before I get there, the other reason why that conversation with my dad in the car is important is because one day, that same time period when I was at home, I saw my dad go to the bathroom and he looked really uncomfortable coming out. And normally, again, just like, wait, I don't say stuff like that about poop, but my family also knows that I'm the poop girl. So 
I said, you know, why do you always look so uncomfortable when you come out of the bathroom? And he's like, oh, well, you know, it's always, I was like, yeah, I know it's always been this bad. And I never asked you before. I never pushed you, but when's the last time you got a colonoscopy? And he was like, I never have. I said, I'm sorry, what? So, so, so you're going to schedule one for next week, right? He's like, well, I mean, I, I guess. Okay, great. You, you're going to schedule one. So now fast forward to us being in the car because he actually went, thank God. And that's when the doctor told him, not only did your non-Hodgkin's lymphoma return, but you have stage four colon cancer. And all I remember was, was it felt like the world stopped spinning and I felt like I was completely and totally underneath the ocean, but I couldn't scream. I couldn't, I couldn't exhale. I couldn't get a, I couldn't, I couldn't take a deep breath because all I, all I knew in that moment was I needed to be there for my dad. Like nothing mattered with me. It didn't matter that I was having issues or anything like that. My focus shifted to my dad because what would happen over the next three years would be complete and total hell for my family and everything else. And I go home, I, I tell my ex-husband, I tell his family, and they're like, oh, that's really sad. Thanks, guys. So I move out. I accidentally bought the biggest U-Haul truck that you could buy. Um, don't recommend that. Always go to the store and figure out the small size, please. Um, take it from me, driving in rush hour traffic through Northern Virginia and DC to get to Baltimore is not something that you want to do with the largest size U-Haul truck that they have. Don't do it, okay? A lot of truck drivers laughed hysterically at me because I was trying to find out things and, you know, obviously they can see down and I'm freaking out. And I looked at one guy, I was like, what am I, do you know how to do this? And he was like, what? Do, do you, do you know how to like, I need to shift out of this? He's like, oh, you put the clutch down. And I was like, okay, great. He's like, why'd you, why'd you rip this truck, sir? Sir, not today. I don't know. I'm tired. I don't know what I'm doing. I just want to get to this new apartment. I'm stressed out. I have to unload this entire thing by myself. And he was like, ah, oh, you sound like you had a shitty day. Yep, I did. Thank you. And he rose his window back up. This is in, in the middle of bumper to bumper traffic, by the way. Uh, so <laughs> my dad has surgery after surgery after surgery. There were times that I thought he wasn't going to make it. My, like, you really and truly learn what people are made of in these times. And my dad and I got ridiculously close throughout all of this. And he is now cancer-free, yay. Um, but he literally told me, he said, I would either be dead or dying right now had you not pushed me. So. My plea to everyone listening is if you don't feel well, or if a loved one doesn't feel well, or they don't look right, or 
something changes, even if it's very subtle, pay attention to that. And sometimes you really and truly do have to push because we're stubborn, especially us as women. And we don't like to accept help. We don't like to burden people. We don't like to say that we need help, but take it from me. There are so many times throughout just my, my late teens and twenties. And even now that I'm in my thirties that I wish I would have just stopped and said, I need help. There's nothing wrong with it. So it, it, um, yeah, it was, it's a lot. (laughs) Well, and I want to stop you right there because I think what you just said was very key. I think asking for help is the hardest thing to do. Uh, a lot of times we brush things off or like you said, you're so concerned maybe with helping other people and being that, that you, you ignore yourself or you find shame in asking for help. And there's no shame in that at all. None, none. And there are so many times when I look at old pictures of myself, especially while I was going through my divorce and I look so hollow and empty and I could see parts of my hair that had fallen out I could see how small I was I wasn't really eating I wasn't sleeping and there was nothing in that moment that I could do I thought to change my circumstances and I saw how my family was looking at me. I, I saw it all. But sometimes, even when people want to be there for you and help you, we've all done it at some point where you snap at the people that you love the most. And I knew that they were concerned that if they pressed a little too hard, that I would go into straight survival mode and just completely and totally lock everyone out. I mean, I, I did do that. I'm not going to lie. I did do that. But you don't want to burden people. And I cannot tell you, even now, when I think back, it, it's, it, it's just something that I wish I would have given myself more grace because every now and again, there's, there are people that I'm actually somewhat close to at work and I told them what was going on. And they were like, you are going through what? I would have never known. Like you're, you're so nice and you're so sweet and you're so helpful. I had no idea that your world has been turned upside down. And we glamorize this. I'm a strong woman or especially me being, you know, that whole strong black one. I don't want to be strong. I don't want to be strong. I want to cry. I want to fall apart. I don't, nothing makes sense to me. I I just, I want to be putty in someone else's hands. And for the first time in my life over the last couple of years, I actually allowed myself to cry. And that was such a foreign concept to me initially because I always will stop myself from crying. Like nobody wants to hear what you have to cry about that whole thing. You know, if you cry, I'm going to give you something to cry about. That is such bull. 
And I really and truly hope that even if, if you're a parent right now listening, like understand that your children want and need you desperately. But because we're in this age of texting and shorthand communication and, and pretending like everything is okay, we're missing out. We're, we're missing the mark. And even going through COVID being by myself, I've also learned that if someone was to ask me, oh, what's your love language? All of them, all of them, touch me, talk to me, take the trash out, give, give, give me a flower. Yep, I want all of it. Yep. Mm-hmm. And, and, I, and I also realize how sensitive I am and we make sensitivity out to be such a bad thing and it's not at all, not even a little bit. So I really and truly want to encourage everyone to take a step back and give yourself room to cry and mourn and grieve because many of us have never really had an opportunity to really do that in life. I lost my birth father when I was 13 years old. And I really and truly believe that even when I was at his funeral, I didn't cry. No one consoled me. I legit stood at the back of the funeral services. And I remember thinking, why is no one coming back here to make sure I'm okay? And I want to encourage, I want to encourage you to just think about that and ask yourself, am I okay? And sit in that. Don't be so quick to say, oh, okay, I, I need to get the next thing done or I, ne- I need to do this or I need to rush off to do that and run an air. Stop, stop, just stay still. There are times where I will purposely leave my apartment messy. It does not last long, but (laughs) I will leave my apartment a mess just so that I can just sit and recognize that sometimes your mess is the best thing that you can look at because it helps you to, to recognize what's going on around you and make tiny changes to put things back in order. So don't be so quick to put away the mess. Just just don't. Sit in it. Sit in it. Stop trying to fix it. Let it be. I love my therapist. They were all just like, we have no idea. Just one of these things is enough to push someone over the edge. Not to mention the fact that I wasn't really getting along with my mother throughout all of this. Or my brother. Or my family. Yeah. They, she was like, you yeah, know, you, you need to chill and relax and understand that you got a lot going on. So that was fun. Well, I think it's important like what you said about emotion, because I think I, I need, and, and I'm just going to put myself out there <laughs> talking about this. So last week, my husband and I, he um, said, let's go run the trail. So we decided to go run the trail And I mean, which I run every day, pretty much. And so, and I run the trails and all that. Well, this particular week, I just had a lot going on just physically and like just headspace hasn't been like, I just wasn't feeling a hundred percent. 
And so we started out on the trail and no lie, like I, my foot hit the top of my foot hit the, um, there's a bridge, hit the bridge, girl. I ate, like ate the crown. Like my knees are busted up. I rolled, like I get up and I'm like crying. (laughs) I mean, bawling like a little girl still running, like running and crying, (laughs) running and crying. My husband turns around and he sees me crying and he's like, Oh my God, what, are you okay? And I'm like, yeah, I fell. And he's like, we can stop. I'm like, no, I got to keep going. And I cried my way through it. And at the end he was like, I thought you were going to stop. And I was like, no, I said, emotion for me, like that's just me responding, but it doesn't mean that I'm not going to like, I'm going to give up or quit on something or just because I cry or have to cry my way through something doesn't make me less strong. Mm-hmm. or less of a person it just is how it's I'm that sensitive and emotional that you know emotion has been perceived as like a weakness and it's not yes. so I love everything you're saying because I think it's you do need to allow yourself those moments and cry your way through it it's okay you know cry your freaking way through it mm-hmm. mm. I can so identify with everything you were talking about in that sense, from the emotional side, because I've been an emotional person my whole life. And a lot of times people are like, why are you crying? And I'm like, I just have to work through it. Like, it's just my way. I don't know. Right. Right. It is. Right. Leave me alone. Mind your business. But I don't want to cry. Right. You want to come cry with me? You want, if not, give me some tissue and keep it moving. (laughs) And let's keep going. (laughs) (laughs) So it's okay to cry. Yes. Give yourself Or flip the table. I mean, I was about to flip one before we started. So, I mean, I'm all for it. I had, I had a few damn it dolls. Okay. My, the, the corner of my desk at work, like it was the business, like that poor little, the doll, a stress ball. I used to be in my office by myself. I would throw the stress ball against the wall. I am sure people were just like, what the hell is going on? I was like, I'm sorry, you gotta give me a minute. Like, and, and there were times where I was just like, you know what? I need to go for a walk. Cause if I don't get up, it's going to be bad. So let me go outside. Just I need to take five. Right. I just, just give me a minute. And I had someone at work before he was so bold and was like, yeah, you come across as really paranoid. And I was like, you know what? If you had somebody blaming you for shit that you had nothing to do with all the time, I think you might be a little bit paranoid too, okay? So how would you like me to respond to that? How would you like me to respond? What would you like me to do? Why did you think that was appropriate to say out of your mouth out loud? That was one of those thoughts that you keep inside. You keep that inside. And I like to run up and down the stairs so that I can move. And I would also scare the crap out of people sometimes. So yeah, that also made me paranoid because I didn't want to smack anybody or push anybody down the stairs. And then they get HR coming in. And next thing you know, they're like, oh, here we go. Another angry black woman running through the hallways. Like, come on. I digress. (laughs) (laughs) I knew we were going to have a good conversation. (laughs) Well, I've got to switch it up on you because we have to talk about, we have to switch gears and talk about your fitness because yes. fitness is a big part of your life. We've <sighs> talked about your, you know, your, what you do full time, but girl, you got side hustle going on. 
goodness. We have to talk about that. Yeah. So out of all of this, I, I think one of my really and true defining moments was when I became a personal trainer because I studied biomechanics and all that stuff. So I always knew I worked with my husband, set up plans, did all that thing. And one day I was like, you know what? I'm going to do this for myself. I should have did this 10 years ago. And maybe I, I probably would not be in the situation that I'm in right now with all this yo-yo weight coming on and, and going off. Like I would actually know what to do if I took my own advice. So let me go ahead and just stop talking, stop thinking, stop talking myself out of it. And I just did it. I am going to be honest. I barely studied because um, I didn't have time to. I did not have the mental space to. And funny story about actually taking my exam was this woman, bless her heart. She called me. She was like, oh, um, I'll be coming from somewhere um, before your exam. Uh, is that okay? I was like, okay, I don't know, I guess. Sure. She was like, do you need anything from the store? And I was like, what the hell is happening? Um. No, I mean, you did remind me that I do need to go and get paper towel once I'm done with my exam, but you know, thanks for asking. She was like, I'll be there in just a minute. Oh, okay, girl, do what you got to do. I think she was late, maybe 10 minutes or so. And I'm freaking out because I don't have nothing. I'm like, you know, I put all my stuff in the car, left it in the car. But anyway, I take the exam. I think I was done in 30 minutes, if that. And I panicked because I was like, wait a minute. I should be in back here for a minute. Uh-oh. So I'm going back and trying to like change the answer. I was like, no, Ebony, just leave it alone. If you fail, you fail, whatever. No shame in that. Come back, try again. So I walk out and I was like, um, I'm done. And she's like, what? Ooh, excuse me. How you doing? Check, fix your face. <laughs> she was like oh sorry give me a minute so she's fumbling with stuff and I'm trying to figure out like all right can I have my like I just need my okay I all the paper jammed I really just need you to look at the screen and tell me if I passed or failed so I can go home please awkward silence more fiddling of the paper she prints something out halfway and I'm like just give me the paper. Um, she was like, oh, I gotta go find some more paper. Leaves me, walks out, go gets the paper. And I'm just like, I, all of this for me not passing? Cause I just assumed that I hadn't passed at this point. I was like, whatever. She comes back, hands me my certificate. And she was like, oh, by the way, congratulations, you passed. And then she's like, here's a gift for you. And she handed me a uh, package of paper towels. <laughs> That's awesome. She was like, I thought, you know, you said you needed some paper towels. So I just wanted to give this to you. She was like, I wasn't sure what was going to happen. And I figured you might need it if you wouldn't have passed, but I'm really glad you did. And one thing that she told me, she was like, I really think you might need this. And I was like, what? So, well, you know, my son, you know, he always encourages me and, and does a lot of things. And he was telling me the other day, like, Ma, you know, sometimes you got to go after the thing you're most afraid of. And 
from looking at how many times you rescheduled this exam, I think you were meant to do this. And considering how fast you finished it, she was like, you're about to help a lot of people. I can just tell that about you. And I was like, yep, and now I need these paper towels. Thank you. <laughs> so that really just started it. And I, and I still struggle with this of just not being afraid to be who I am and share my truth and, and use that to help other people. And, and what's cool is I even had a client in Portugal that I was working with, and that was incredibly fun. Thank you, technology. And to see when people are like, oh my gosh, like you're evil. I'm like, what do you mean? They're like, these exercises you give us are super simple. They look all cute and cool. And five seconds into it, I can't breathe. I was like, oh my bad. Um, I like to target those little muscles that you forget you. She, I, I can tell, I can tell. Just stop talking. Oh, okay. A month later, oh, I look so good. And I feel so confident. Thank you. I'm like, you're welcome. You still mad at me during those sessions? Yes, I hate your guts. Okay, that's fine. You know, it's fine. It's fine. <laughs> it's a love-hate relationship. Yes, yes. But just seeing those light bulbs go off and, and seeing them get strong and hearing them say, I couldn't do this before and now I can. And their non-scale victories of how much more confident they feel and being able to play with their children, all of those things are just incredible to me. And I love the fact that they send me pictures and they're like, look at me running around with my daughter and my son for the first time. And I was like, oh, that's so sweet. So yeah. What's what makes it all worth it? Is it when does. you when you're pouring into other people and you see them go to the next level or achieve something they didn't even think they could. Mm-hmm. And it fuels you to it keep does. doing and keep it going. Does. For sure. For sure. And I, I think that's a big reason why for me, I love to strength train because it's you start off with a small weight and when you see how much you incrementally change, it's just, it's such a beautiful thing. And I have a quote on my kitchen that, you know, the, the saying that goes dance like no one is watching. And I fully and totally embrace all of that because I had to find my joy. I had to get my life back. I had to recognize that I can be happy. I deserve to be happy and I deserve to be strong. So why not just be who I am and stop trying to fit into everyone else's mold of what they perceive is appropriate for me. And that's been, that's been really fun and cool. That is, it's a, I mean, you know, I think that's the one thing that, and I guess we're just, I would say for women in general is like, it's don't be afraid to be yourself and your proof and, and taking your life back. And, you know, you get knocked down, you get back up and you find something that fuels you mm -hmm. and that, you know, when you do that and you're able to gain that confidence and come back, like you come back stronger. 
It's so beautiful. It's, it's such a wonderful thing. And what I always encourage people to do is take pictures through the good and the bad, because when you see how much you've changed and how far you've come, that fuels you to want to do better. And a lot of people are like, I don't want to look at that. I don't want to remember that time. And it's like, no, we, we have a bad habit of forgetting where we came from. And we develop this amnesia when we go to new problems because we're like, I don't know how I'm going to solve this. How am I ever going to make it? And you're like, no, you made it through some pretty crappy times before. What makes you think that you can't do it again? Mm-hmm. And I fall victim to that a lot. And thankfully, I have a lot of friends that are like, wait a minute, do, don't forget didn't didn't this happen to you before did weren't you telling me about I was like oh yeah that did happen to me who I've been through a lot of things no wonder I'm so tired okay and it's just like all right I'm gonna just buckle buckle up relax take a deep breath and it's going to be okay and if you're a person of faith rely on your faith to get you through it find people who have gone through similar things to give you advice and to help you through those times. And there is nothing that you can't do. And a lot of people are like, oh, you can't have it all. You can't do it all. Actually, I believe you can in different seasons. And your purpose can change, your passions can change. And just learn how to be a little bit more flexible with yourself so that you can have room for those things. That's so on point. And we've covered a lot in this podcast today. <laughs> we've covered a lot. Like there's so much like gold nuggets and everything that you've said. And I, I just really appreciate you being on and being so open and sharing your story and your challenges and sharing how you've become stronger through it and embracing where you are and who you are and sharing it with the world. It's like awesome. Yeah. Sometimes. Thank you for having me. Yes. So if somebody wanted to get in touch with you, where can they reach you? Yeah, I am at Joyful Ebony on all social media platforms. And I have a podcast called the Thyroid Warrior Podcast. And I'm at joyfulebony.com and just started my YouTube channel up again. And you can find that at joyfulebony.com forward slash YouTube. Love it. Thank you so much. You are such a joy to talk to. Oh, shucks. <laughs> You're the best. <laughs> or to do this again. Right. Sometimes. Sometimes. <laughs> Thank you for joining me today. If you like the podcast, please like and share this with other women in your life. You can find out more about SweatNet on SweatNet.com or follow them on Instagram at SweatNet and SweatNet Charlotte. You can follow me personally on Instagram at itsealsmart. Stay tuned for the next episode of the SweatNet Be Amazing podcast.